Hello and welcome to our next episode on Romans, the penultimate episode. We're going to work through Romans chapter 15. This is it. We are in the home stretch. We've made it to the last two chapters on the book of Romans. Uh, and as we progress into this chapter, you will see Paul's tone kind of shift to a more conclusionary type of tone. Um, he begins wrapping things up, tying things together, and you just kind of get that feel. Uh, he's kind of landing the plane, as it were. Uh, so if you've been tuning into these episodes on Romans, you know that the a few chapters earlier, Paul shifted into a more practical application type of tone. Uh, he begins the letter with foundational theology, and then in chapter 12 begins applying that. Like, what does that mean for Christians to live this out in their Christian life? And this is where the chapter and verse markers get a little weird. Uh, you may or may not know this already, but when the apostles wrote these letters to the churches that they oversaw, they didn't include chapter and verse markers. So there was no Romans 8, 9, 10, 11, 12, 13, 14, 15, 16. There was just the book of Romans. It wasn't even a book. It was a letter. It was a letter to the church in Rome. Uh, but as the church continued to study these letters and recognize their scriptural authority and utilize them in their church, they eventually added chapter and verse markers to make it easier for people to find specific passages in the Bible. It's a lot easier to find Romans 15.1 than it is to say, uh, find the paragraph where Paul mentions uh, the strong obligation to bear with the weak and somewhere toward the end of the letter. But in the process of adding these chapter and verse markers, we sometimes forget that what is written in chapter 15 is still connected to what came before it in chapter 14. <laughs> it is this chapter separation that I think leads a lot of people to misinterpret what Paul is writing about in Romans 9. Uh, they separate it from what is written right before it in Romans 8. But for Paul, it's the same thought that he's continuing. And I think you'll see that here in Romans 15. If you remember in Romans 14, Paul wrote about those who are weak and strong in the faith. He related it to food, how the weak in faith may avoid meat because they are still weakly clinging to religious tradition rather than stepping into what God has for them. That chapter concludes with Paul telling the strong in the faith not to continue eating meat in front of the weak so as to cause them to stumble and ultimately sin. Paul says that this would be a sin issue for both the weak and the strong, and then we get a chapter separation. It just kind of cuts off seemingly mid-thought. So let's pick up at verse 1 in chapter 15 to see what Paul would have continued to say if this were included at the end of chapter 14. We who are strong have an obligation to bear with the failings of the weak and not to please ourselves. Let each of us please his neighbor for his good to build him up. For Christ did not please himself, but as it is written, the reproaches of those who reproached you fell on me. For whatever was written in former days was written for our instruction, that through endurance and through the encouragement of the scriptures we might have hope. May the God of endurance and encouragement grant you to live in such harmony with one another in accord with Christ Jesus, that together you may with one voice glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, welcome one another as Christ has welcomed you for the glory of God." So here you see Paul continuing the same thought that he had in chapter 14. Only now, the responsibility is placed on those who are strong in their faith. 
Paul says that they have an obligation to bear with the failings of the weak and not to simply please themselves. Now, the word please here or to please oneself is is used a few times throughout this passage. In the Greek, it means to, to have an eye on one's own interests, meaning I am focused on what interests me and I will focus on what furthers my interests. Not only do I care about my own interests, I am only interested in furthering my own interests. In this context, it carries a very selfish connotation. But Paul tells those who are strong in the faith not to have this selfish mentality, but to reverse it. Paul wants the strong in the faith to be focused on the interests of the weak and to set aside their own interests. Paul encourages this because that is what Christ did for us. He took on our own interests by taking on our sin and giving us a way to live eternally with him. That is selfless, and we are called to do the same. Paul is not saying that you simply lay down any opinions that you have and take on the opinions of someone else. Paul is still calling these two groups weak and strong. And he even goes as far as to say that the opinions of the weak are failings. And yet, the call of the strong is not to beat the weak into submission or pummel them with verses until they agree. The call of the strong is to bear with the weak and build them up. The verbiage used here for bearing with one another evokes the image of literally carrying a physical burden. To bear with someone meant to take their burden upon yourself. Unfortunately, in the church today, we are more focused on shaming people for the burdens that they carry by being weak in the faith so that they drop it all together and then we win them over. Or we just keep separating our churches over and over again because we're seemingly incapable of living with one another if we have a difference of opinion. But it's important to notice what Paul says about all of this in verse 5 and on. He asks that the God of endurance and encouragement grant them to live in harmony. What Paul is saying here in pointing out God's attributes of endurance and encouragement is that we will need to have those same attributes to live in harmony with one another. Living in harmony is hard. It takes endurance. There is a long-suffering quality to life with a family. You must demonstrate patience and give grace. And there is a lot of encouragement necessary in these relationships. And it's not, again, it's not just the attaboys and the pats on the back, but the challenge and building up, it's that aspect that often gets messy. And we see both of these endurance and encouragement so clearly in Christ. The endurance and encouragement he shows towards us is so immeasurable. And, and, and so we must take that and give it to our brothers and sisters in Christ as well. It is only through that, Paul says, that we can glorify God in one voice. Even though we are divided, weak and strong, and the differences that follow us into the church still exist, we are still one voice. One family, united in Christ, glorifying God in all that we do. That is our goal as the church, to glorify God in one voice. And we can do that by welcoming one another in as Christ welcomed us in to the family of God. All right, let's keep reading and see where Paul brings us with this thought. Uh, let's pick up at verse 8 and we'll read through 13. For I tell you that Christ became a servant to the circumcised to show God's truthfulness in order to confirm the promises given to the patriarchs and in order that the Gentiles might glorify God for his mercy, as it is written, Therefore I will praise you among the Gentiles and sing to your name. And again it is said, Rejoice, O Gentiles, with his people. And again, Praise the Lord, all you Gentiles, and let all the peoples extol him. 
And again, Isaiah says, The root of Jesse will come, even he who arises to rule the Gentiles, in him will the Gentiles hope. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing, so that by the power of the Holy Spirit you may abound in hope. All right, here in this section, Paul relates the division between the strong and the weak in faith to the division felt by the Jews and the Gentiles. He says that Christ became a servant to the circumcised, i.e. the Jews, in order to show that the promise of the good news going to the Gentiles might also be fulfilled. And then he quotes a few Old Testament passages to confirm that truth. There's a few things to note here. First, Christ became a servant. The viewpoint of the strong tends to be that of dominance, overpowering, uh, win them over, win over the weak by overpowering them. But here, Paul intentionally and continually points to the example of Christ. Christ who was the strongest, and yet he served those who were weaker in order to bring them into his strength. Second, if Christ can bring unity between not only Jews and Gentiles, but between sinners and God, then surely through his grace and the power of the Holy Spirit, we can have unity in the church. That's the hope that Paul shares here. Okay, let's keep reading Romans 15. Let's go through verses 14 to 21. I myself am satisfied about you, my brothers, that you yourselves are full of goodness, filled with all knowledge and able to instruct one another. But on some points I have written to you very boldly by way of reminder, because of the grace given me by God to be a minister of Christ Jesus to the Gentiles in the priestly service of the gospel of God, so that the offering of the Gentiles may be acceptable, sanctified by the Holy Spirit. In Christ Jesus, then, I have reason to be proud of my work for God, for I will not venture to speak of anything except what Christ has accomplished through me, to bring the Gentiles to obedience by word and deed, by the power of signs and wonders, by the power of the Spirit of God, so that from Jerusalem and all the way around to Illyricum, I have fulfilled the ministry of the gospel of Christ, and thus I make it my ambition to preach the gospel, not where Christ has already been named, lest I build on someone else's foundation. But as it is written, those who have never been told of him will see, and those who have never heard will understand. Here in this passage, we can really start to feel the descent, uh, the coming in for a landing in Paul's letter. He shares that while he is satisfied with them, with the church in Rome and the direction they're going, that doesn't stop Paul from writing boldly and addressing major issues. Uh, issues that we saw back in Romans 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, and so on. There was sin in the church and division amongst the body, and Paul has no qualms about addressing those. But he does so because of the grace God has given to him. All Paul wants people to talk about and think about when it comes to him in his ministry is Christ. He says it here in verse 18. I will not venture to speak of anything except what Christ has accomplished through me. Can we say the same? Is that how we feel about both our successes and our failures? Can we say in our ups and our downs that we consistently point to Christ and Christ alone? I, I know that I can certainly grow in this area, but Paul wants his audience to know that. He wants them to know that while he has been placed in a seat of authority over these churches, it is only by the grace of God, not by anything he has done. And he wants, he wants to passionately continue the work that God has set before him. 
But let's keep reading so that Paul can explain that himself. Let's read uh, verse 22 through the end of the chapter. This is the reason why I have so often been hindered from coming to you. But now, since I no longer have any room for work in these regions, and since I have longed for many years to come to you, I hope to see you in passing as I go to Spain and to be helped on my journey there by you once I have enjoyed your company for a while. At present, however, I am going to Jerusalem, bringing aid to the saints. For Macedonia and Achaia have been pleased to make some contribution for the poor among the saints at Jerusalem. For they were pleased to do it, and indeed they owe it to them. For if the Gentiles have come to share in their spiritual blessings, they ought also to be of service to them in material blessings. When, therefore, I have completed this and have delivered to them what has been collected, I will leave for Spain by way of you. I know that when I come to you, I will come in the fullness of the blessing of Christ. I appeal to you, brothers, by, the, by our Lord Jesus Christ and by the love of the Spirit to strive together with me in your prayers to God on my behalf, that I may be delivered from the unbelievers in Judea, that, and that my service for Jerusalem may be acceptable to the saints, so that by God's will I may come to you with joy and be refreshed in your company. May the God of peace be with you all. Amen. All right, so in this closing passage for chapter 15, you see a few things. First, we are told why Paul has been unable to visit the church in Rome. Paul mentioned earlier in this letter that he longed to visit them. We saw that in Romans 1, but he was unable to make the trip. And now we are told why. Paul is a church planting machine. And he said in this letter that he focused on spreading the gospel, on planting churches in the unreached parts of the Roman Empire. But now that the work in that area is complete, he first needs to drop off funds that have been collected for the church in Jerusalem. And you see this great kind of brotherly love even between different churches, not just within the church themselves. You see churches in Macedonia and Achaia have collected money and given it to Paul so that he could take it to the needy in Jerusalem. And Paul says that they were pleased to do it. It was not a begrudgingly given gift. It pleased them to care for those in need. They benefited from the spiritual blessing of those in Jerusalem, and now they can give back in terms of material blessing. And it is after that trip to Jerusalem that Paul will finally be able to visit Rome at least according to his letter. For historical context, Paul does visit Rome eventually, but not quite as he planned. Uh, he does make it to Jerusalem, and while he is there, he is arrested and then brought to Rome as a prisoner, since he was technically a Roman citizen. Uh, and while he is there, he continues to use his time effectively for the gospel. Even as a prisoner, Paul oversees churches that he has planted. Uh, it's in this first visit to Rome that Paul writes the letters to the Ephesians. He writes Colossians, Philippians, and Philemon. You see, for Paul, the gospel is everything. It motivated everything that he did. Paul was a man of action. He had deep thoughts and deep theological th truths to share with the church. The book of Romans is proof of that. But unfortunately in the church, and I am guilty of this too, we often love Paul for his theology and we ignore everything that he did. Paul was the greatest church planter the world has ever seen. He was constantly on the move for the gospel, sharing the message of Christ with everyone that he came across. And I think we need to have that same sense of urgency that Paul had burning within him, that even in our times of isolation or in the wilderness periods that we often find ourselves in, that we would still pursue 
kingdom work. Paul, while he was imprisoned, continued to have the gospel be his one true motivation for living. And I hope and pray that we as a church are awakened to that and have that same passion and love for God burning within us and his love for us that we can share it with everyone around us. And that brings us to an end of Romans 15 and almost to an end with the book of Romans. We will wrap up with Romans 16 and we'll put a nice bow on our Romans series uh, in our next episode. But as always, thank you for tuning in. May God bless you and I will see you soon.